Welcome back to CFO Weekly, where we're talking with financial leaders about how to build efficiency in their teams, create time for strategy, and ultimately get results with your host, Megan Weiss. Let's jump right in. Today, my guest is Jeremy Foster. Jeremy is Chief Financial Officer at Telru. He has more than 15 years of experience as a senior executive, primarily in the technology and banking arenas. He's been CFO or COO for three Inc. 5000 companies, two of which have made the Inc. 500, and all three have been recognized by the Austin Business Journal as among Austin's best places to work. At Casasa, he guided strategy for a $25 billion bank product portfolio, managed an analytics team responsible for product performance and financial reporting for 800 banks and credit unions, and led the development of an enterprise-grade business intelligence platform. Hello, Jeremy, and thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. You bet. Thanks for making time to visit. Yeah, today we're going to be discussing your journey as a CFO, the role of a CFO at fast-growing companies, and how to support that growth through some fundraising. And I'm looking forward to learning from you today. So let's go ahead and get started. Sounds good. Let's start with you. So if you could just tell us a little bit about your career journey and how it is you got to where you are today, uh, that would be great. Yeah, my, my career journey is probably a little unorthodox. Uh, I actually started in marketing. I started out as marketing director of a community bank in New Mexico and West Texas. Um, ended up getting promoted to lead operations, retail, and marketing for them. It was a great experience. We grew that to $600 million in assets. Um, and then uh, you know, really enjoyed the team that I worked with, but kind of had an entrepreneurial itch. So uh, in the space of about... I, I gave a pretty extended notice period. Um, and then when I finally left the bank in the space of about a week, um, quit my job, got married, moved to Austin and started a new company. And uh-huh. so... Uh, Moved Exciting out times, sounds like. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, six six days of that week was the honeymoon. So it was, it was a busy, uh, it was a busy time, and um, you know that that startup was a standardized test prep company um, intended to help provide cost effective SAT and ACT preparation for disadvantaged kids, and um, we were profitable pretty early on, but not making enough to really support my wife and I both. And so I went back to work for a company called Accenture when we decided to have kids. Um, and ended Small up, company. Yeah. Um, <laughs> ended up starting as a banking subject matter expert for a very large um, nationwide bank engagement, and then ended up leading uh, curriculum management. They created a full-time role called Curriculum Lead. Um, and I helped manage the the frontline training curriculum. Um, and this was in the middle of this was in the middle of the banking crisis, so it was a it was a fun time to be involved in that. Um, and then had a great opportunity to go work for a, a startup here in Austin called Bankview, um, and started as what what they called an executive consultant, which was really kind of a a mix of consulting and account management. And then ended up leading our analytics team. Um, then took over a portion of our finance team. Went back, uh, had the opportunity to get my MBA, um, so got my MBA, and then came back to the company full time as CFO. And so uh, was CFO there for about five and a half years. Helped scale the company, helped sell the company to private equity. Um, then went to another uh, another smaller company here in Austin and spun out a startup um, called Homeward that's that's done well. And then had a, had a great opportunity to come back to Tauru, uh, come back up to a bigger company 
with Calroo um, and have been there for about three years and have just really been enjoying it. Yeah, what an accomplished background you have. And like I was mentioning before we started this conversation, that you're the second CFO I've spoken to in the last four weeks that's come from a marketing background. So which is really unusual, but I think it's I think it's a it's a really terrific fit given the importance that the consumer plays um, and the increasing importance that understanding consumer unit economics really plays for the CFO. And so I think if you have a, a good grasp on how to, how to acquire customers, yeah. um, you're going to do a better job helping to grow an organization. Yeah, that's a great point. So as you look back throughout your career, are there any stories that stand out in your mind as like moments that turned your career from one direction to another? Obviously, making the jump from marketing to accounting and finance was probably one of them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so at the bank, I think the first real opportunity I had um, to, to branch out into operations came when, as marketing director, I started picking up special projects effectively for our CEO. And, and one of those, um, we had a situation where our ATMs were constantly down. And it was it was a it was impacting consumers. And so um, I was raising it as, a, as an issue and our, our CEO said, well, then it sounds like we need to fix it. Um, let, me know, let me know what you need to do <laughs> to go fix the problem for us. And so he really gave me the support that I needed to, um, to go out and effectively find, source, and renegotiate a better contract with a different, um, with a different vendor um, and we ended up with better service delivery at a lower cost. And the combination of those two things, I think, really caught the CEO's attention. And so that opened up a lot of opportunities for me in operations, which led to more opportunities leading all of our retail banking group. And so um, I think that was a real, that was a real key opportunity. Um, and then another one was at, at Bankview, which became Casasa. As I moved into our analytics division, we identified some um, some challenges and opportunities in our in our pricing and in our invoicing, and as we built out the function that we needed to effectively begin recontracting clients, um, we were able to effectively turn um, a you know an invoicing and collections activity into a client renewal and and revenue center, um, and so I think that. That also created a pretty meaningful opportunity for me as I moved into finance, um, and you know both of those uh, really came because someone, in the first case, the CEO, and in, and in the second case, our controller, um, looked at what I was looked at the value that I was providing and said, "Hey, I think there's an opportunity for you to create more value in this space." And so I think a big part of my career has just been looking for the problems that are most painful and most need to be solved. Um, finding the right support to go solve them, and then and then doing a good job with that. And if you do that, then that opens up opportunities uh, wherever there's room for growth in the organization. Yeah, absolutely. Um, making an impact really is what it comes down to. That's right. So let's talk about your current organization, Talru, and what it is that that they do. Yeah, so Talru provides uh, quality candidates, pr- primarily in the essential worker space. Um, to medium-sized and enterprise businesses. And we do it really with 
what we call the Talru Ad Platform, um, TAP for short. And that includes three primary product stacks. So we have Talru Pro, which is uh, a mix of programmatic advertising and search capabilities. So in the, in the, in the HCM, the human capital markets and, and uh, NHR space, um, kind of one of the buzzwords is programmatic, which basically means allocating, um, allocating your ad spend to channels that are going to drive the candidates that you want. And that's really about half of the solution. The other half is making sure that you have the search and match technology capabilities to identify good candidates and help place them. And so with Talru, what that really translates to is what that really translates to is the technology that would allow us to have a client set, for example, a target cost per applicant. And then we go out and we drive the traffic and we look at the conversion rates to make sure that the candidates that are going to become qualified applicants for that employer are effectively hitting and meeting that target. So, you know, if you're a CFO looking to staff somebody, um, you've you've got budgets that are set, and then your recruiters are going out and they're trying to fulfill, uh, you know, the the organization's needs within those budgets. And Talru really has the technology to allow us to help help make that possible. Then we have an events product that essentially schedules and then manages uh, attendance to try to help drive. Um, candidates to hiring events. And then we have an insights product that won 2019's uh, uh, HR Executive Magazine's Product of the Year Award. And it allows you to plan your recruitment strategy with actionable data by being able to look at places like, in a specific market, how many job seekers are there looking for this specific type of job, right? So if you wanted to plan out a warehouse you could, for example, um, use that data to think about which which city you might want to build that warehouse in. Wow. I imagine you've seen demand explode in the last... <laughs> <laughs> we have. 12 months so, or so. <laughs> yeah. So the, you know, I think the overall industry, the best estimates we've seen you know, overall in the industry are that the, kind of the, t- the total addressable market, total amount of spend uh, in the recruitment marketing space is going to go up by about 25-30%. Um, you know, we've had significantly greater growth than that over the last year. A lot of that is because the quality investment that we have made in, in our product um, has allowed us to do a better job driving high-quality candidates. And so we see significant increases in spend from clients as we... Um, you know, as as we deliver for them. Yeah, I don't. I haven't spoken to one CFO who hasn't mentioned staffing as their number one pain point. Yeah, it is. It is an incredibly important. Um, it's it's always important, right? For most organizations. Yeah. Most organizations today, the most important resource that you have is people, and um, and when there's a shortage <laughs> of talented people. That really shifts things a lot, and so a big part of what we've seen um, with kind of the, the great resignation uh, that we've seen over the last couple of years is that the tight labor market has really forced companies to rethink talent acquisition and to and to put a priority on it the same way that they've always placed on customer acquisition, and both of those are really marketing functions, and so um, if if you don't have uh, if you don't have that capability, or, or even if you do and you just need an additional source, um, then we've really seen 
significant additional focus and investment from companies to to meet that gap and meet that need. And so you've been with that company now for three years. What have been your proudest achievements? You know, I think uh, I would say a couple of the key achievements for us um, have been one is really building out a direct sales team that can deploy our products um, and and sell our products directly to to customers. So, um, you know, our our CEO has known from the beginning that there's going to be a tremendous opportunity in retail. That's really been kind of the driving vision for the company for quite a while. Um, we've had terrific products and terrific software for a long time, uh, but we really needed to invest in and build out the capabilities to reach the market. Um, and so we brought on a, a really talented sales leader. We built out a lot of the operational processes, have invested considerably in tools and in our sales force. And we've really seen a tremendous um, yeah, tremendous amount of growth as a result of that. Um, and so I would say that that's been, a, that's been a real key for us as a team. I'd say another one that was important was really that you know we we began making that transition right before COVID hit, and then uh, you know Q2 and Q3 of 2020 were difficult for a lot of companies, and we were no exception. And so, really figuring out how we were going to manage to continue moving forward with those investments in a time when the natural impulse is to retrench, right? The natural impulse is to pull back. Um, I think the the organizational courage to continue to move forward and making investments in growth when um, when there are when there are signs that that you know you are having to be responsive to and you are having to plan for poor case scenarios, um, but really putting in place plans. That say, okay, if things don't go well, this is what this looks like, and if things, you know, do go well, this is what this looks like, and then and then really um, deciding to move forward, uh, kind of like I said, as as an organization with a spirit of optimism and intentionality um, when things look bleak. I think that's you know that's a that's a moment of pride for the whole company. I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the world pretty much shut down for at least a few months in 2020. So for you guys to keep moving forward uh, says a lot. Yeah. Um, Okay. So Telru has been named as a top place to work within Austin for five consecutive years, which is really saying a lot. So as a CFO, how do you help prioritize and support the investments that are necessary to reinforce this type of success when it comes to Telru's work culture. So a lot of it is really about making, you know, culture really, um, it does start at the top and our CEO, uh, you know, has always been very focused on, on our work culture. And one of the key ways that we do that is with Telru experiences. So if you think about what, um, if you think about what, People remember and what people think about. Um, certainly, people care about compensation, and you know, people care about um, people care about uh, having a great break room, right? Um, but people also care a lot about experiences, and sometimes experiences are a lot less expensive to arrange than you know buying a new building, right? Um, and so, looking at where we can make the biggest difference and the biggest impact from a culture perspective. Um, you know, bang for the buck, I think is a is a key function of the CFO. Um, I'd also say that 
one of the most important parts of culture is making sure that you're bringing in the right people and then making sure that you have a high level of transparency within the organization. And, and I would argue that for any company, transparency is, if, if not the most important function of a CFO, um, certainly one of the most important functions of a CFO. And so I, I'd say that, that uh, you know, that's, that's really key for, for keeping a company a great place to work. Yeah, I think transparency is probably even more important these days with most of the workforce, in many cases, remote. still being remote. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I'm sure that helps you guys retain employees in a time when employee retention is um, not easy. It does. Uh, just curious, what kind of experiences? So, you know, we do we do everything ranging from large group experiences. One of my favorites was actually one that was, uh, you know, during my first year as CFO, we had a we had a big uh, like casino night poker party. Um, we also have an RV that we will uh, allow employees to to check out and take with them for the weekend when they've done, um, you know, when they've when they've made some meaningful contribution. Um, we're a sponsor of Austin FC, um, which is which is the soccer team here in Austin. Um, and and we have uh, you know tickets that we share out to employees. Um, so it's really about uh, you know we do and then we do more regular touch points, right? So to your point about a remote workforce, um, we we have always had this fantastic break room and lunches used to be a big thing. Well as we began to move remote, fell off. And so part of what we did is we formed partnerships with um, you know, some of the food delivery services and just started setting aside essentially budget for what we call management mingles, where every executive in the company, you know, basically every month is meeting with a team of seven or eight folks and we're all having a lunch and everybody can order their lunch in. So it's just it's making sure that we have opportunities for people to connect with each other. Um, and for people to also do things that they're going to remember. Yeah, and that goes so far in uh, you know making work a fun experience for people. And I love that you guys have an RV and let people take it for the weekend. Okay, so you've been a CFO or COO for several fast-growing companies now. And as someone with experience working in this kind of environment, what have you found that growth companies want from their CFO? So I think it varies a lot based on the company. When I look at the when I look at the three companies I've been at that have that have hit the Inc. five thousand, you know, the every single one of them, my my core CFO duties, right, of let's make sure that we're putting resources where resources need to go, that's always key. All all of them are always trying to figure out where where do we need to put resources. And so a key part of that. Um, is you know classic, you know Goldratt's classic theory of constraints. You look at whatever it is that's limiting the organization from growing. It might be that you don't have a good sales team to reach out and and reach customers directly. Um, it might be that you don't have the debt lines that are necessary to fully make make the investments that you might need to make. Um, in product, you might have a product that's that's panning out, and you've already got a model that's working, and you just need to gather the funding to pour fuel on the fire. Um, it might be that you don't have a fundable model. You you have a great sales team, but you don't actually have 
the key product, there's not any demand there. And so um, in that case, you have to think, you know, that's probably the biggest of those challenges. You have to think about how do I how do I go back and work with the team to help us identify what types of products are going to have opportunity in the market space. And so it really depends on, I think, the the organization, how you supplement that CFO role. But I would say that it always it always starts from the perspective of what's limiting what's limiting the organization's objectives with high growth or organizations that's typically what's limiting growth yeah that's great advice um and switching gears just a bit so from Talru to one of your previous employers Kasasa um you guided strategy for a 25 billion dollar bank product while you were at Kasasa so talk to us about what that process was like yeah so Kasasa had a uh, Kasasa was really a, a distributed, branded suite of checking and savings account products. Probably the the best way to think about it is, you know, you might be able to buy Rolex at the local jeweler, um, and Kasasa was effectively providing the Rolex of of checking account solutions. And so, um, when you when you're dealing with something like bank products that have deposits attached to it. A key piece of that is understanding your client's asset and liability management profile. A lot of it's understanding the underlying you know, consumer economics that go into making those products good for a customer. Uh, in the case of Casasa, Casasa would power, for example, you might be able in the current market to pick up 3% interest on your checking account, but you need to swipe your debit card 10 times and you need to take an e-statement, right? Well, 3% is a great rate on a checking account. That's fantastic for a consumer. Um, the client, the bank or the credit union um, earns money every time you swipe your debit card. So if you can align the interest of the consumer with the interest of the organization, the organization can pay a premium interest rate for it. And so then it really becomes about making sure that you're working through getting that product design right um, and and putting in place strategies that help your product stack work with all of their other products. Um, and and obviously, you know, in a rate environment that has some that has some intersections with finance. And so with my background in banking and my background in finance, I was a very logical very logical touch point for helping to provide some of those strategies. And you also have significant experience in multiple equity rounds. So what, uh, in your point of view, is the role of the CFO when preparing for fundraising? I think, other than to pull together, obviously, the financial statements. Yeah, I think the CFO should be instrumental. Well, I shouldn't say should be. I think for, for me, a lot of my capabilities are around kind of financial architecture and design. And so part of what that brings with it is the ability to go back and and really look at the underlying business model. And so within that, I think you really have three key building blocks that that any investor, at least any modern investor, is, is really typically going to look at. They're going to want to know what's the lifetime value of a customer, right? How much total revenue and gross profit are you going to generate from each customer. And then they're going to want to know how much is it going to cost you to acquire that customer. So you've got your customer acquisition costs. And a lot of times in the finance space, we talk about that as LTV over CAC, right? And different investors might have a three to one ratio. Some might have a five to one ratio. 
you know, the real the real question is, what are you looking for um, to make that an investable model? Um, and those, if those two things are right, then you know that you have a profitable way. You know that you can acquire customers profitably. You can put money in. You can get customers, and you can make money from those customers. And then the next question is, how many of those customers are out there? Right? What's the total addressable market? And if the total addressable market is big enough, then you know that you can make enough money off of enough customers to cover whatever your investment is. And so, you know, over oversimplifying a business model a bit, if you can start with those three building blocks, then a lot of times from there you're able to put together a, a ground up build on a growth model that is a highly investable growth model. And that's really what investors are looking at. They're looking at it and they're saying, okay, you know, if I if I pour money in, <laughs> it's you know <laughs> Venture capital and private equity can be can be there's a bit of art to it at times, but it can also be pretty formulaic. And the key formula is if I pour money in the top, do I get more money out the bottom? <laughs> right. And that's that's kind of the the question. And as long as you can, with a high degree of confidence and a good level of support and data, put together um, and support a model that can drive that result, then you're going to be able to get investment. And then it really becomes, you know, they'll also want to check the box on the management team. You know, they'll want to make sure that all the metrics that you're providing, you know, check out with environmental trends. Um, but but if those numbers are right, the rest, I don't want to say it all takes care of itself, but it all all certainly is a lot easier to manage if those numbers check out. Yeah, and your point just reminds me of um, a conversation I had a while ago with the CFO, and the, and the topic for that podcast was storytelling and the importance of being a good storyteller as a CFO. And I'm sure when it comes to private equity, um, being able to tell the organization's story and and convince them is is what it all comes down to. Yeah, it it is, and I and I would I definitely think that being able to tell the story is important, and it's and it's easier to tell a good story if that story is true, <laughs> right? And so, so sometimes you know, sometimes you walk in and that's exactly what's been missing, right? The like, you walk in and the business has a great product, and they have a you know, they they already have good acquisition, they just haven't thought about how to tell that story. Sometimes you walk in and one piece of that is missing. So you have good lifetime value from your customers, but you don't have an effective sales delivery channel to go out and acquire those customers. Well, then you've got to figure out how you're going to build it, right? Um, and and you have to figure out how to make those those numbers work. Um, sometimes, you know, like I said, the the harder the harder part is if you walk into a situation where you don't have that lifetime value and the you know the customers that you have today aren't driving that kind of value, then you really have to go through a full rethink. Um, yeah. But but if you... Having yeah. the irrelevant product, I'm sure, is probably uh, the worst possible thing to have. By far. Everything else <laughs> ends up feeling pretty mechanical. If you, you know, if you walk into a situation where you've got a great product and you've got customers that like it, uh, from there, everything starts to feel pretty easy. So what advice do you have for CFOs who are looking to drive strategic value within their organizations to, to grow revenue and margin? Yeah, the first, the first key I think is, is looking at 
looking at what the organization does well and doesn't do well, right? Typical SWOT analysis. Um, and that'll give you an idea of, of what the organization's capabilities are. Um, and then really looking for opportunities to drive extra value inside or outside the organization. And then it's really about figuring out how you get the resources necessary to take advantage of those opportunities. So one of the places I, I, I worked... At the time, I, at the time I took over as CFO, the the model wasn't really fundable, um, and we didn't really have a great opportunity to go out and raise additional money at that point in time. And so, we were spending a lot of money on legal expense um, that was really kind of routine legal. It wasn't like we had big lawsuits or any kind of issues like that. It was just a lot of a lot of legal expense that had all been outsourced to manage contracts. And so, we built out a contract management function. We saved. You know, a half a million bucks in in legal expense annually. We took a small portion of that and began to build out an FP&A team, and then the rest of it really went over to product, right? To to helping us build out the new products that we needed um, to um, to get in front of in front of the clients. And so, thinking about where you can where you can find the money, um, and a lot of times the CFO. CFOs may think that it's more about moving money from one bucket to another. Sometimes executives in any space in the organization are focused on um, you know, growing their division. Everybody tends to come at it from a perspective of, well, I can manage the money better than anybody else can. But really, the better question is, where does the money need to be spent for the company? And who's in the best role to do that? And so... you know. In some instances, like I said in the, the example I just gave, legal reported up to me. I made my organization more efficient. Then we took money away from my organization and, and I gave that somewhere else, right? I reallocated that to a team that needed it because that was where the opportunity for the business was. And so I think one of the keys, if, you're, if you want to be a strategic CFO, the key is to stop thinking about how do I make finance bigger or how do I make finance more powerful? And it's more about how do I make the organization more successful and where is the best place to find those resources and reallocate those resources so that the company can grow. And if you do that, then one, you've inherently become more strategic because you're thinking about the company instead of about your team. You start to get invited into strategic conversations across the organization in a more meaningful way because people know that you're not there to build your empire you're there to make the company more successful and hopefully make each department more successful in that process. Yeah, that's very good advice. Um, I'm sure success for any organization is a team effort and not just you know sole, a bunch of sole contributors trying to get to the top. Right. So lastly, as a CFO, what is currently keeping you up at night? Um, well, I think, uh, you know, looking at the overall... <laughs> domestic and global environment. It's a crazy world. Is, you know, I mean, it's a, there are macro forces at work that in some places have been pretty predictable and in some ways have not been predictable, but certainly almost none of us can realistically predict the outcome of being on the potential verge of World War III, of having incredibly high inflation rates, of, right, all of, of a Federal Reserve that might, implement uh, you know, uh, economic policies that restrict growth to try to deal with that inflation. All of these are factors and forces that 
we have to be aware of. Um, and I think most of us, uh, myself included, um, are, are, are kept up at night by the things that are outside of our control. And right now in the environment, there's a lot of that. Yeah, definitely tumultuous times. But to our point earlier, you can't just sit still and, uh, you know, freeze and not move forward. So that's right. So you just keep making the best, the, the best moves that you can in the environment that you're in and in the environment that you think you're most likely to be in. Um, and, and you have, you know, you have contingency plans. Jeremy, thank you very much for taking the time to speak with me today. Yeah, it was great to visit with you. Thank you for making time and inviting me on. Yeah, I've enjoyed our conversation and all the insights that you've provided. And I want to wish you and tell Rue all the best. It sounds like the two of you are are both doing amazing things. And uh, to all of my listeners, thank you for tuning in. And until next week, take care. Thanks, Megan. You have a great day. If you're ready to boost efficiency and streamline your accounting processes at significant cost savings, it's time to talk with Personiv. Their people-powered solutions have transformed the delivery of back office tasks and general accounting functions for decades, partnering with clients to provide everything from accounts payable to payroll services. See what Personiv can do for you by visiting personiv.com. You've been listening to CFO Weekly presented by Personiv. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to hear all of our episodes. Want to learn more? Check out personiv.com. Thanks for listening.